Thank you for tuning in to Business Thriving in Today's Era podcast on the MQBit Network. In this episode, we meet and talk with Brandon Burns about his journey from becoming an actor and performer to becoming an entrepreneur who has built numerous companies throughout Australia. We talk about the similarities and differences in doing business in the United States versus doing business in Australia and how Australia is working to become a player in the global market. We also discuss about how to best educate new entrepreneurs and how Brandon and his company wants to grow Australia's footprint in entrepreneurship. Along with that, we talk about how one can start their own angel firm and what goes into becoming an angel and venture capitalist. Brandon, thank you so much for taking out the time to be on our show today. Mate, it's great to be here and kudos to you, mate, for, and congrats on the show. Like today, it's, it's awesome to see uh, you getting it out there. And, um, mate, it's my pleasure to come on board and be on your show. I'm not sure what number guest I am, but I hope I'm one of the first people you've had on from down under in Australia um, because it's a bit of a thrill for me to come on a podcast in the US. I'm excited. Yeah, you're actually our first guest who's come from Australia and it's a pleasure having you on the show. And Brandon, for the people that don't know you here today, can you give us a brief introduction about you and your journey to become an entrepreneur up to this point? So my journey as an entrepreneur started at a young age. I spent the better part of my youth and teenage years um, as a child actor and film. And so um, I, was, I managed to be lucky enough, I guess, to learn and earn money at a young age. And so I got a little bit of exposure um, immersion to, to work. But then also I, was, I managed to, um, when I was 17, go on the first season in Australia of Australian Idol. And from there, I, um, I quickly started my own, my own wedding band. And that was kind of like, you know, just a creative endeavor, but it quickly became a business. And so I had to sort of learn straight away how to, um, how to manage musicians, how to uh, manage clients, brides and grooms, and and how to deliver um, in like a live setting uh, on someone's most important day of their life. <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of how I started as an entrepreneur. And then obviously I went the traditional route as well. I went to university and studied a bachelor's in, in business and commerce. And, um, and I've started and failed at about three different businesses. Um, but I've learned, I mean, everyone would say this, but I think in particular, particular what I've learned along the way from starting, failing, starting, doing a bit better is um, all the the general skills that people, not only employees, but entrepreneurs need to learn along the journey so that when they arrive at that opportunity and that perfect timing point for the business that does work, they've learned and refined all these really, I like to call them um, general skills because they're not skills that are only specific to a specific person or endeavor. They're things that everyone should be learning. And it'd be, it'd be wrong with me if I didn't mention that some of those key skills were digital, you know, digital marketing in particular and uh, growth hacking um, that can be done by anyone in any business. You don't have to be a digital superstar. Um, but those things that I learned were, were some of the key elements that I'm even still applying to this day and sharing with my team. And it's what's helped me become more efficient and refined to make my latest business work um, because I've had to learn it through trying in my others. Um, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes sense. And as you gained all of this knowledge, 
what are the, let's say, three main things you see being the most important for a new entrepreneur to be able to learn? Yeah. Okay. So the three most important things I would say are, and this is what I'm going to encourage my children. I've got four young children under eight years of age, and I'm going to be more focused on them doing this than I am on worrying about them getting into a specific college, university, or degree. I want them to experience and learn in a sales or customer service-facing job immediately and first. So, and that, that that's the number one most important. How to sell, how to understand and break down the process of selling and how to sell oneself. Um, because as soon as I started to develop the ability to influence, but when I became consciously aware of my ability, then I could then I could sort of step outside of myself in situations where I was influencing someone in a, in a sales manner and I could sort of see what I was doing and I could develop the skill to be more aware of how to tweak it in the moment. So the number one would be um, selling. The second would be, um, I guess this is a more general thing, but I would say listening and, and listening across, you know, the whole vertical of communication. So um, the first part of that that I learned was obviously just to, to listen more requires to talk less. And so in those scenarios, I try to develop more of an awareness to be a better listener by actually slowing down all the immediate thoughts that come to mind that I want to share in a situation and actually holding on them at times and understanding which one to go with and which one to leave. And the best example of that for your listener and viewer would be when you're in a team meeting with your peers or specifically with your peers and your manager. And you've got, you know, this competition for airtime. You've got this competition for sharing best ideas, having an opinion, wanting to look like you share the same view of certain people. And then also you've got the feeling of your gut, wanting to just share something new that's come to you. And so learning how to um, listen better and also pair back, not wanting to share everything at once in that group setting is probably the second thing. And then the third would be... Um, Moving away from just trusting that if I did what I love and I leaned into being really creative and attracting people and generating energy and momentum in my business, that everything would take care of itself. Um, learning that that's an idealistic view, but that I needed to learn basic things and basic fundamentals around finance and organizing my business and planning. Um, and those three things, you probably heard the downward inflection on my voice um, every time I've said them because they don't light me up, but they're important and they're a general skill that, you know, you can't ignore even for a highly creative, energetic, you know, person like me who doesn't really want to focus and get bogged down in that type of thing. They're the three things, right? So selling, listening better and having a basic understanding of finance. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you mentioned great things like the need to have financial literacy, because that's not only used in business, but also in your personal life as well. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned early on that you're very creative, too. And you mentioned you were an actor. <laughs> so how did you start on that path? Well, when I was a child, my parents um, got me into group singing lessons at the age of five, because they identified that I was a bit shy. Um, and so they did that to try and boost my confidence. And then I eventually, by the age of seven or eight, I transitioned to um, individual one-on-one -on -one singing lessons. And I remember one time when I was about 11, I came home and, and I remember the singing lesson specifically because it was the first lesson I'd ever attended one-on-one -on -one 
where I actually let myself go and I actually found my voice and I, I you know, I sang fully and I felt the rhythm and the and the musicality for the first time. And I, I remember that moment because that was when I sort of developed an actual affinity for singing. So up until that point, it was more just a, a group exercise with children, like acting, singing, sports, where you're doing it for camaraderie. And then, the, then I developed a real, um, you know, likeness to it. Um, and then from there, obviously, as a child, the things that you get exposed to in musical theatre and, and, you know, concerts and, and, that's, and recitals and that type of thing and choirs. But um, if I hadn't of spent time um, when I was 17 putting myself out of my comfort zone and having a go at auditioning for Australian Idol, um, I wouldn't have then developed myself even further. So I'm, I'm incredibly thankful, even though I didn't win the show, which is very hard to do, I'm very thankful that, I managed to have that experience because it expedited putting in so many future situations where I was out of my comfort zone. So all of a sudden I was being offered work to go and host events and perform in front of, you know, thousands of people. And I'm 18 years old and I've just got to do it. But I'm thankful for the fact that I was able to expedite throwing myself into those situations where it's sink or swim. Yeah. And that's one thing I'd also like to see more of. And I don't see much of is putting yourself out there out of your comfort zone and a lot of people are also reserved and don't like to talk much and especially in my major I'm majoring in computer science right now and we're only required to take one public speaking class and especially now with classes being moved online everyone is behind a screen their camera's off and it's even easier for them not to talk more than ever yeah but there's still so many opportunities out there and it's great to see how you're able to take advantage of those as well. Sure, yeah, I'll just add there. I'll just add one thing. I liken it to game time. So, you know, at a young age, I was I was lucky enough to be exposed to actual real game time. You know, I got to experience being on screen live. I got to experience being in front of a live audience. Uh, and the way I'd liken it for an entrepreneur or even a professional graduating to the corporate world, um, like in your network, it's, it's, it's experience with an actual organization. It's being in that environment, fly on the wall, participating, uh, interning. It's, it's like, it's just the luxury of being um, a student, I think, which I could have even uh, taken advantage of more, is that you have time on your side to literally go and be uh, immersed somewhere. You know, like I've got four kids now, I'm married, you know, I've got a mortgage, I've you know, I've got, I'm trying to find ways to maximize my time more because I've got so little of it. I no longer have the luxury to go and be choosy about potentially interviewing somewhere, putting myself the time to be exposed. And that, that's, that's one crucial thing that just cannot be overlooked because it's so, it's so, it's so important and so helpful. And I read, I read a really cool article the other day where it talked about how, um, offering the CEO or offering your boss to attend the meeting and, and take, take minutes and take notes. And all of a sudden it just jumps you four to five rungs ahead of everyone else. You're in the room and you're taking notes and you're engaging with that stakeholder, your manager or your boss back and forth on the minutes. You're now in a position of, uh, of influence and you're being immersed to something you may not get exposed to for another four to five years. Yeah. And on that topic, you mentioned when you're even interning, you have time to one, step out of your comfort zone, but also position yourself for progression in the corporate ladder. So what tips would you give to a college student starting out 
going into the corporate world to be able to better grow themselves? Yeah. Okay. So there is no silver bullet, and and uh, I'm just going to share my personal experience and what I noticed that is at the disposal potentially of a student right now that could help them differentiate. Now, obviously, you and I um, spend quite a bit of time and promote ourselves on LinkedIn, and it goes without saying that that existing now that didn't for me back in the early days is a deal breaker. But obviously, people are catching up with knowing how to uh, curate a personalized message and a direct message of a contact. So you've got to take it a step further. I would say don't wait for permission to position yourself as having an opinion or being a thought leader in your space. For example, if you've majored in computer science and you have a strong view about how you think something in your field could change the world, or even better, you think that there's a way that something you've thought of could impact a business like Tesla, Amazon, Microsoft. The first thing I do is take it upon yourself to write a Medium article or a LinkedIn article, share your thoughts and views, position it to your peers as a piece for review, but make it public, make it known, and take it upon yourself to tag Elon Musk in it or tag someone key and crucial at the business that you're attempting to work at and that you're writing an article on. And, and then I do that for maybe three or four others. Um, it's, that, that to me seems like an incredible way to differentiate because you're starting your journey as becoming a thought leader, but also everything you're sharing is based upon being at the precipice. You know, you're, you're literally graduating. You're the freshest there is on this topic, computer science as an example. No one's going to have a more up-to-date view than you potentially. Yeah, I think that's a great tip and great idea of doing and utilizing LinkedIn is definitely great. And it's a large social platform. So there's a chance if Elon Musk doesn't see it, maybe somebody else working at Tesla might. Yeah. So taking a step back, actually, from being a child actor, what made you want to go into the corporate world and the entrepreneurial world? And what was that shift like? Well, I convinced myself, Shoria, that I... I convinced myself that I needed a full-time job. Um, I convinced myself that because I was getting married and getting a mortgage that I needed full-time employment. And so, if anything, um, convincing myself of that slowed me down. So, my first, my first four roles across my first four to five years were uh, full-time employed, no equity, no ownership, not very entrepreneurial. I was learning, which was great, but... I probably look back on that and think, why did I convince myself and have such a fear mindset around uh, needing something to tick a box? Why didn't I be brave enough to just try and do something on my own sooner? And I look back on that and I wouldn't call it a regret, but I definitely call it an iteration that could have occurred quicker, having known what I know now. So obviously, you know, I've moved jobs quite frequently in the last four or five years. I've probably had five or six. Um, but I've been able to move quickly and create opportunity as a result. But it's 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 taken a, a growth in confidence that didn't always exist for me um, to be able to back myself when doing that because obviously we deal with things like, oh, we've got to stay in a job for a decent amount of time to look credible when we try to go to the next one. Um, whereas that, that to me, honestly, and you'd notice this more in the US because Australia is a much smaller place, but even here we're noticing that's completely out the window now. You know, good talent, if you can get it, 
should be looking and, and should be able to be gotten, you know, and it doesn't need to feel a good talent shouldn't be sitting in a business for five, 10, 15 years, unless it's, um, unless it's the owner. Yeah. Be, be more confident about, um, asking for opportunities and not needing to uh, be loyal and stay somewhere just because of how it might affect the perception of you as a candidate. Yeah. And bouncing off of that topic, you mentioned that there's differences between the Australian and American market and workforce. But besides that, do you see the way business is done being different in Australia than America or the other way around? Uh, great question. So I'll give you an example for your listeners and viewers to, to comprehend. Uh, on last check, in America, in the US, per capita, early stage capital, so early stage ventures that receive capital is about $12 per capita. So $12 US. In Australia, it's around 48 cents. So to give you an idea and perspective, even though the markets are much, uh, much smaller here in Australia, the maturity and the understanding of people to actually invest in early stage ventures in Australia is still very immature. So that means, however, there's a massive opportunity here because if you look at Australia and you look at some of the businesses that have become unicorns in the US from Australia and you look at the Australian market and you look at Australian consumers and our products, we're almost like a mini version of the US. We operate very similarly. We spell a couple of words differently. We've got some great Hollywood talent that we've given you. We've given you Thor. We've given you Margot Robbie. We've given you Crocodile Dundee. You probably don't even know who that is. We've given you Steve Irwin. We <laughs> gave you the Crocodile Hunter. You know, but there's a, there's a lot here that Americans love about Australia. There's a lot that we do to prepare ourselves to be able to penetrate the American market. So to give you an example, every business in Australia that gets funded by early stage investment is being funded because they have most likely displayed that they have the ability to traverse over to the US market and capitalise on a much bigger opportunity. But they have to prove here that they can generate massive growth or they can they can stand alone, but then also that that business can compete because it's going to need 10 times more investment to go and compete in a market like the US. And what you find in Australia, sure, if your listeners and viewers is, a lot of businesses that raise money to attack the US from Australia will often go on and attack one path. So you see a lot of Australian businesses will go and try and own just Colorado or just Austin or just Seattle. They won't go and try and bite off California, you know, the fourth biggest economy in the world and the East Coast and everywhere else at once because they'll fail they'll often have a really targeted approach. And Australia has really good connections with the US. We've got landing pads for startups and founders in Colorado, San Francisco, New York. So we've actually got destinations where people can plug in. And look, mate, just to give you an idea, because you guys might not realise, there's more people in Texas than there is Australia. You know, so, so that, you know, we're, we're a first world country but we've got less people than Texas. <laughs> so, but no, so, so, like, if I was to say for an investor listening to this show, the opportunity here is we have the capability to create, foster, and incubate amazing talent and ideas. 
we have a portion of our population that understands the opportunity for investing in Tesla early or investing in Facebook early. But the majority of our population associates building wealth with buying property and owning property. Stock markets to a degree a little bit, but property is the big focus in this country. So there's wealthy people in our country that aren't even considering early stage funding potential unicorn businesses in Australia. So for an American investor listening to your show, the opportunity is massive because it's undertapped. First world country, most similar market to the US, most similar consumer. Um, we model pretty much everything we do off the US. We're great partners, but nowhere near enough people are investing into ventures early. And you know the numbers don't lie. A percentage of those will become a unicorn. You know We know about Canva. We know about Atlassian. We know about um, you know businesses that have gotten to that level. They all started with an angel investor in early stage in Australia. So um, yeah, anyway, so that, that's the opportunity I believe. Yeah, last time we talked to we talked about the market size and how it's important to get this information out and spread it to enhance the knowledge about investing in startups. Early. And when we spoke earlier too, we talked about how Australia is doing so many things to be competitive in the global market. So would you mind speaking more about that, about what Australia is doing to stay competitive in that global market? Well, like what I said about um, Australian businesses penetrating in the US and not trying to do it all at once, we've got to think the same about where we want to own. What vertical, what space do we want to own? Now, if you look at FinTech, that is out of control uh, growing in Europe and parts of America and Asia even. So, you know, we can try and join that party and some businesses will succeed, but we're not going to win that race. We just know we're not going to. So we've got to do what we do best. And what we do do best is Australia creates and grows three times the amount of food and agriculture that we need every year. There are elements of and countries in Asia, which are really close to us, that are, don't have food security and are at risk of not having enough food to feed their population every year. So Australia should think of things like becoming the food bowl of Asia. So why can't Australia be the destination that creates, we already create the, the most amazing produce, um, fruit, vegetables, meat in, in the world. Like it's, we've got some of the best wine, the best beef, you know, it's, it's amazing. Because we, we live on an island, mate, so far away, we don't have we don't have infections, we don't have COVID, we don't have anything. Um, but we should we should do what we do best. That's where we should start. So we should be a leader in agriculture, a leader in food tech. We should also capitalise on opportunities that we have around the fact that there's only about 30 million people in this in this country, and you've seen Australia on the map. It's it's almost as big as North America, and hardly any of the country is inhabited. You know, there's a big part of the country that's just barren and, and empty and, and a lot of people would say it's not inhabitable, but there should be a way to find a way to make it inhabitable and then there's a massive opportunity for us to significantly grow our population. Australia is a first world country. It's incredibly desirable to live. So people talk about wanting to live the American dream and that, that, is, that is true for a lot of people. But there's a lot of people living in parts of Asia that don't experience a great life and they associate living in Australia with living the Australian dream. So we've got to do a better job in Australia of attracting better talent from the Philippines, India, China, 
to want to come and live in Australia and incubate their idea and invest down here. So I think what we need to do best is focus on verticals that we're good at. And obviously food and agriculture is one clear one. FinTech blockchain is not. And we just need to own what we're good at and what we're not. And secondly, we need to do everything we can to convince the rest of the world to know how livable and desirable it would be to come and live in Australia. And it's like Canada, man. We've got free healthcare. So, you know, there's, there's a lot about our country. And you've seen how beautiful it is when you watch the movies and you see Sydney Harbour Bridge. There's like 20, there's 20 locations even better than Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, so we've got to tap into making it more more of a destination because, you know, if you look at our country and our landmass compared to everywhere else, we're significantly underpopulated. We could handle a lot more. Yeah, and I think it goes back again to educating and spreading that information. Well, I was talking to someone the other day and I said, if there was an American investor living in Australia, they would have no problem investing into a American venture whilst living in Australia because they understand the market, they understand America, they understand American founders. So who's doing something to help the Australian expats who are living in America, working in tech companies and doing great things in finding a pathway for them to invest back into Australian businesses, but also help them influence and share with other Americans how much of an amazing opportunity that may be as well. And I think what that speaks to is there's a real desirability to want to come and live here for a lifestyle, but as a country, we need to make it more desirable to come and make some money. So, you know, economically it needs to be competitive and it needs to be desirable because if you put those two together, that's the holy grail. You know, like China China is an amazing opportunity for a lot of people and you can get investment to take your business there. But unfortunately, I'll be honest, it's not hugely desirable from a livability perspective. You know, there's, there's pollution. Uh, it's tough. And so but there's a, a, a bottomless pit of money to be given to bring your idea and your IP and, and to come and incubate in China, but they struggle because they can't get people to come and live. Australia's got both. If we could just get both right, it's, it's a game changer. Yeah, definitely. And on top of that, you mentioned that you're a VC as well. So how do you go about educating new entrepreneurs and people who want to be investors to get started and go into venture capital? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, well, like most scenarios, you have to storytell. You know, we have to show people that people have done it before. So for a first-time angel investor, or as we call it, a venture investor, someone who's writing that first check to a founder, you know, they're, they're writing a 25K to 50K check all the way up to half a million dollars. They need to see a reference structure of others who've been there before. So we talk, we talk to founders and investors about examples of Australian businesses that have started here and have traversed over to the US. So we talk about Canva, but then we also talk about investors who got in early and went along for the journey with them. Because the most famous story that we reference is um, Andy, I think it's Andy Brookenstein who wrote the 100K check to, I think, Sergey Alexia at Google. And obviously now he's worth, you know, seven to $8 billion dollars just based off of that early stage investment. Now that's, you know, that's that's not not a one-off, but it's very rare. But we need we need to create more stories of an Andy who's in Australia and did it from Australia, 
that's that's going to be the key, and that's what we try to specialize in. So Dash Dash Ventures, which I head up, we're creating a home for people who want to finally explore and get started on their journey of being a, a seed investor. So you know, people in Australia will have investments in property, they'll have investments in the share market, but very rarely will they have invested in startups because they just don't understand it. It's still very foreign to them. So our job is to educate as quickly as possible and then show them other lead investors who've done it before that they can follow them in the footsteps of. Because if you do it as a group and you do it with others and your peers, it's a lot easier. It's a lot less daunting. And you can also share in the reward with a lot more people. And that's what we're all about. We want to create um, a community of angel investors who want to be active. So the ideal scenario for us is someone comes along, they find a founder that they really love, they fall in love with wanting to help build them, they invest some money, but they also stay on as an active advisor and mentor. And they likely follow on invest at a second and third round, and they go on and enlist and influence their friends to do the same because they love this founder and their vision so much. And from that, you mentioned that you teach them how to become an angel and investor, and many of them may want to start their own firm after. So what goes into starting your own VC firm? Yeah, great idea. And we want people to aspire to start on their journey as an angel, but eventually become a lead investor because the power in having their own firm and their own group of investors to influence is that they can now get people to trust and go along with them when they decide, okay, this is what we're going to invest in this month and they can make the capital move quicker. So for us, it's important for someone to want to get started as an angel, meet other like-minded people, maybe write their first check once they feel comfortable, but eventually they'll become the person that everyone else who's getting started looks to. And also that addresses our North Star, our big audacious goal, which is we want to make capital move quicker in Australia. So our business name is Dash. The, the urban dictionary meaning is fast and online. And for us, if we can move the needle with getting founders and investors connected sooner and better, capital will move quicker. And if a business gets funded quicker in Australia, it's now got a fighting chance to grow quick enough to go and secure funding to get over to the US. So um, for us, capital is so important. The talent here is fantastic. Ideas and innovation is awesome. We've got some of the best health techs, by the way, in the world. And we're pandemic proof, clearly. We've got no cases today as we speak, but we need to get capital moving. We need to get uh, people wanting to invest in that IP. So that's, that's where the work needs to be done. And for any investors listening to the show who want to go and become an angel investor, what are a few important things they should know going into angel investing in a company? Uh, don't, don't be afraid to acknowledge what you don't know. And don't feel bad if you meet an amazing founder, but you just don't know anything about their space. You might meet the most amazing founder who has a blockchain business, but if you don't understand blockchain or you just don't get it, don't feel bad if you have to pass. But if you find someone in a vertical that you do understand and that you really, really like, go for it um, because they're just like you. And most angel investors are successful entrepreneurs who would have had an early stage investor themselves. They understand what it's like. And if they could duplicate themselves, they probably would, but they can't. So the quickest way to duplicate your success is invest in others like you. So, you know, the speed element really is important in the early stages. 
obviously, you know, when you get to the stage of becoming a multi-million dollar business and you're talking to like a benchmark capital or a Sequoia capital, you know, it's going to take a lot longer to secure a big check of like 50, $100 million, but it doesn't need to at that early stage. And that's where you can make the biggest impact. Not to mention the riches you can create from getting in early and having a position once that business grows over the next five, seven, 10 years. So um, the speed element is really crucial. You know, it's not overrated referencing your gut feeling, that visceral feeling that a lot of investors will get when they meet someone. Trust it and go with it. Obviously, due diligence is important and that's where firms like ours and others can help. But if you're an entrepreneur and becoming an angel investor, you've had some success, you've tasted it, you know what to look for when it comes to trusting your instincts around a person. And in the early stages, it's all about the founder and the team. So so crucial. Yeah. And on the side of the entrepreneur who is trying to approach an angel, when a new founder comes to you, what are the first things you look for in the lens of an angel investor? I would say the key things we look for is, well, I just covered off, you know, being willing to admit what they don't know, but also being open to considering something new that they wouldn't have expected would become an opportunity. Um, Because what you'll find is um, a lot of investors won't want to go first. But as soon as someone goes first and then someone else goes, they all want to go. So, you know, it's okay to hang back for a little bit. Once you've got your confidence up and you you know what you're talking about, don't be afraid to go first because that's where the biggest opportunity lies. Yeah, I definitely agree. And Brandon, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and really great to share this knowledge with everybody. And thank you so much again. And before we end today, is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave with the audience? Any last messages? Oh, mate, I just like to say what a pleasure it's been coming on your show. I've only ever done um, one interview on a show in the States. So this is my second and I think I've gone a bit better this time, which is great because you made it so easy. So thanks for having me on your show. You can visit us at zash.ventures. Anyone wants to hit me up on LinkedIn, I'd be more than happy to help. And we've also launched a really cool new show of our own. It's called The One Minute Millionaire and it's literally one minute with a millionaire. So if you don't have time to watch that show, then I don't know what's wrong with you. um, Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, mate. I really appreciate it you getting me on and you're doing a great job thank you so much i really appreciate it and yeah go check them out and all that information will also be available on our show notes on our website along with our contact information if anybody has any questions and brandon thank you again see you guys thank you for listening to business thriving in today's era on the mqbit network to find out more information about our podcast view our show notes, get more information about our guests, and more, visit mquebit.com.